With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. So in order to support our show, we need the help of some great advertisers. And we want to make sure those advertisers are ones you'll actually want to pay attention to and hear about. But we need to learn a little more about you to make that happen. And I would love to learn more about the audience. So go to PodSurvey, that's P-O-D-S-U-R-V-E-Y, PodSurvey.com slash James, and take a quick totally anonymous survey that will help us get to know you better. That way we can bring on advertisers and, and even content that you won't want to skip. So once you've completed the quick survey, you can enter for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Terms and conditions apply. Again, that's podsurvey.com slash James, J-A-M-E-S. Thanks for your help. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Today on the James Altucher Show. Caution is different from panic. Yes. People are going a little bit insane. Yes. But, and then they ignore the flip side of the equation. Like China, starting around mid-February, cases started to peak. And now, as you mentioned in your email, there's hardly any new cases. So they closed down the last of their specially built hospitals that were made just for coronavirus. People seem to be ignoring the fact that a pandemic does come to a natural ending. And in the middle of that is the peak where the number of cases per day stop moving up exponentially and start to actually level off or go down. Yeah, and the challenge, and I think we all have to remember this, is that the news media, unfortunately, thrives on fear, right? And I'm just just saying, just for, for everybody to get this realization, that the news media's job is to deliver your eyeballs to their advertisers. That's how they make their money. And when we are in a period of absolute fear and shock and awe during wartime, during pandemic time, during all these things, people are glued to the news. I just, I just think the level of fear is off the charts. Right. So it's a good point because all the evidence suggests there's going to be an end to this and it's not going to be as bad as people think. But on the economy, businesses up and down the chain are going to go out of business in just a month. If, you, if there's a month of the entire world being locked down, essentially most restaurants, bars, retail stores, and many other uh, businesses that depend on supply chain management are just going to die. Yep. What's on the other side of this, optimistically, in your view? What have you been thinking about? My health is really important to me. I know I'm more creative when I'm healthy. I know I'm more energetic. And look, Athletic Greens takes your nutrition seriously, which is something we all should do all of the time. Athletic Greens has been a sponsor for so many years, and I really can't thank them enough, specifically because they make a product that I personally love using to support my immune system and my gut health. I really want to stress that Athletic Greens is not your average supplement. It's a high-quality product taken by renowned experts, including myself, as a way to get access to micronutrients and support gut health. And their research is impeccable and goes above and beyond anything else I've seen. You'll get high-quality doses of zinc citrate, vitamin C, 
plus all sorts of prebiotics and probiotics, which is great because they provide effective immune system support and improve your gut health. And it's not me just saying this. It's again, check out Peter Diamandis' testimony. Tim Ferriss is the one that introduced me to the product. They really go above and beyond to help you take care of you, which is why I love taking Athletic Greens every single day. I do not miss a day. And it's why I love having them as a sponsor because I want all of you to be well and get this immune support that I've been getting daily for years. Like I really, I just, I'm amazed at how Athletic Greens has become a part of my life. I feel such a big difference in my energy and the taste itself, I love it. It doesn't taste like some fake chocolate or fake candy flavor supplements you see everywhere else. This tastes natural because the ingredients come from natural whole foods. And I should mention, it also has adaptogens and stress and hormone support. And we all know as stress goes up, it's important to be on our own team and get wellness where we can. This is critical. Stress is to be avoided. So go ahead and check out their website. But can't thank you enough for supporting them as they support us to support you. It's a giant virtuous circle. So thank you. We're all supporting each other. And this makes me feel so good that we're building this community and, and, and that I get to share all these different opportunities and guests and so on with you. So because they're a direct sponsor, I was able to cut a deal with them. That's going to help you. It's a great deal. If you're a James Altucher show listener, you can get an extra 20 serving pack for free. It's a $79 value with your first purchase but you got to go to the exact URL. It's athleticgreens.com slash James and claim your special offer today. That's athleticgreens.com slash James. It's in the US, Canada, UK, and EU. Take your nutrition to the next level. Try Athletic Greens today. Remember, use the URL. Don't be an idiot and just go to athleticgreens.com. Then you won't get the special James Altucher Show treatment. So that's athleticgreens.com slash James to get started. And now here's the show. So excited to have Peter Diamandis once again on the podcast. Peter, welcome. James, good morning, good afternoon. So the, the reason I wanted to have this is you said around, first off, I'll just, by way of intro, uh, you're author of the excellent books, several excellent books. We just had you on for The Future is Faster Than You Think about all of these technologies that are growing exponentially that are going to change our lives again faster than, than we can even imagine possible. You also wrote uh, Bold, and one of my favorite all-time books, uh, Abundance, that's how I first became acquainted with, with you, is uh, uh, just about when everybody is sort of naysaying and doom and gloom, you talk about all of these trends in society that are incredibly abundant that we tend to ignore for all of these psychological reasons. And I think that's coming into play with our our kind of global discussion about this pandemic and coronavirus. So you sent around this email yesterday, which I've seen references to these topics in other places. And some people were even arguing it was fake news, some of these items, but you then provided sources to each one. But it was basically good news, some good news about coronavirus. And mm. I kind of just wanted to go those down those and then maybe discuss even new developments since yesterday, because things are changing every day. They, they are. And part of my goal is during times that are difficult to give people hope, um, because we're actually having two pandemics going on right now, uh, the coronavirus. We also have a pandemic of fear going on, which doesn't help. It destroys economies. It destroys people's savings. It destroys people's immune systems from having just the stress levels and cortisol levels up. 
Yeah, and uh, I um, I wrote about this about a month or so ago called uh, in an article called the, the Panic is the Virus. And you have to ask, given the math that we've been seeing in every country, you have to ask uh, what, what kind of, are, you know, we're doing damage right now that could basically affect the lives, even cost the lives of, it could certainly affect the lives of billions and cost the lives of tens of millions, depending on where this economy goes from here. And so right now everyone's so focused on the potential, the, the, the media uh, hysteria about coronavirus, which may be true, maybe not, which is why when I got your letter, I figured, okay, this is starting to make some sense. This is going along with the math that I've been seeing. So uh, I agree. Let's, let's, you know, people need a calming voice also. Yeah. So, I mean, during this podcast, James, and for everyone listening, I really want to give you some good news, uh, some hope, uh, some places that you can sort of get additional hope and the realization that we've got the world's smartest people on the planet working on this. It has never been a time where the entire globe is more unified than right at this moment. I mean, that's kind of a, a kind of crazy outcome, but it is an important one. You know, we haven't seen this level of global unification. We didn't even have it on 9-11 because part of the world was gleeful about the attacks um, in the U.S. And, and bluntly, last time we had something like this was like the Apollo program 50-odd years ago when we landed on the moon and, you know, everyone around the world was focused on that. Now, that was a positive outcome versus a negative one. But still, um, you know, that's an important metric. Uh, there's more capital and more brain power. Uh, and I'll share some of the most amazing heroic science efforts going on right now. It's insane. Around the clock, people are working. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I feel like in our lifetime, and uh, in our lifetime, there are basically three events that have, that have terrified me equally, but this is the worst. And the first was 9-11, and I actually had breakfast at the World Trade Center that day and saw the first plane as it was coming in. And that was not only obviously terrifying to, to me personally, but it was terrifying to the entire world. Everyone thought the world's going to change, and to some extent, the world did change. Uh, same with the 2008-2009 financial crisis. That was terrifying uh, and, and horrific and changed the world. But this now, you're right. This is affecting everybody. And a big difference with this is that we can't talk to each other. We can't go outside our houses mm -hmm. and meet each other. And so it has this weird isolating effect, but heightening the connectivity of the internet, the, the virtual connections between all people. And I wanted to go in, in my in a different order or down your, your list of, sure. of potential good news. So number two was uh, China's new cases plummet. And I think this has been kind of ignored yeah. by the media, but let's let's talk about this. So during any exponential growth curve, right? And I've been teaching exponentials to the mass public and to CEOs through my work at Abundance 360 and Singularity University. And an exponential is simple doubling, one, two, four, eight, 16, 32, and so on, right? And here are the numbers people should memorize. You double something 10 times, it's a thousand times better. You double it 20 times, it's a million times. You double it 30 times, it's a billion times. So we talk about doubling rates of viral infections. You have this massive growth curve, but things don't continue doubling forever. Um, for a number of reasons, 
uh, they start falling off. And you, you see like an S-curve, like the early days of it, you're, you're pulling up like in a steep climb. And then at some point, it starts leveling off and it levels off at the top and it makes sort of an S. And so China has entered the, if you would, the, the you can imagine sort of a upward cup that's holding water, part of the curve, and then a downward cup that's dumping out water as you come over the top of the curve. And so China has entered the uh, the tail off of this exponential curve. It hit an inflection point. As has point. South Korea. As has South Korea. And, and this happens typically for a number of reasons. Uh, one is man-made interference, which is social distancing and isolation and so forth. The second is herd immunity. And um, what herd immunity simply means is when enough people get infected and, and develop immunity, if I walked into a room of 10 people and I was infected, I don't think I am, just FYI, but if I walked in, I could infect 10 people. They go out, each infect 10 people, and that's, you know, you're seeing massive exponential growth. If, in fact, what happens is I walk into a room and of the 10 people in there, eight have had it already, aren't immune, then they're sort of like the control rods in a nuclear reactor. They minimize, they don't get reinfected. Their immune system is up and operational, only the other two people in the room. And so as we enter a, a population where more, more and more people have had it, the spread rate slows down substantially. And, and, and there's a third factor too, which is that, the or two other factors. One is the virus could start to mutate into a weaker strain, which mm -hmm. we don't know whether or not that's happening here, but that, that's one possibility. And the other is, is that in the beginning of a pandemic, the, the people who who perhaps get infected the mo the, the easiest and, and display symptoms first are the weakest part of the population for that particular virus. And then once those people are recovered and the other demographics are stronger uh, in terms of resisting the virus, that that might lead to a, a sharp decrease in new cases as well. Uh, it, it does. And, it, and we're also... At the same time, the world is not standing still, and people have to realize this, right? Uh, in, the, in the early days when people didn't know what this was, before the virus was sequenced, before there was, um, you know, uh, good even, even uh, models of this, um, people were shooting in the dark. But there's been an extraordinary amount of science and capital and brain power applied to this. And we're beginning to get handholds on what existing drugs could be used. There's a, we'll talk about the, the numerous vaccines under development. Um, and, and also people are now uh, aware and social distancing and, and self-quarantine is beginning to slow it down. So uh, we can get ahead of this. And, you know, as bad as this pandemic is, and it's good that people are using the term pandemic, I actually call this a practice pandemic. Um, because it could be a lot worse, right? You could imagine having these delayed periods of time between the time that you're infected and before between the time that you, that you show symptoms. And it could be that like in Ebola or something, it has a much higher mortality rate, right? Like right now, a lot of people are, are reacting as if getting it is a death sentence. And the vast majority of people are either asymptomatic, mildly symptomatic, or recover. 
So Peter, let, let me ask you about that because this has been a crucial thing since day one of this to the point where it's it, like, I even see in White House press conferences, reporters saying, you know, given the fatality rate of 2.3%, blah, blah, blah. How come mo even, you know, these expert journalists and so on, how come they don't know basic math? Like if we don't know how many people are asymptomatic, we don't know the true number of cases of the virus, you can't know then what the fatality rate is until it's in hindsight. So clearly it's not 2%, which is only the percentage of people in hospitals who had were, had a fatality in the early days of the pandemic. And this is just basic math. Yeah, so this is really important for people to hear. We don't actually know the the, fight, the fatality rate. We We know how many people have died is easily to measure right now. Globally, it's about, I'm looking at the stats, it's uh, about 9,500 people have, have passed on because of this coronavirus. And the vast majority of those are people in their 70s and 80s with pre-existing conditions. And these are the same types of people who might normally die from the flu. Um, uh, they're frail and it, you know, we see, uh, vast numbers of people dying every year from from the normal flu. So just to, I just want to put that out there. What we then have is a stat that says 2000, I'm sorry, 230,000 have been infected. And I'm, I'm on the site that is the worldometers.info coronavirus. And you just Google coronavirus deaths and you'll see a site like this. And it's, and it's updated every day, right? Uh, it says 9,300 people have died. 86,000 people have recovered. Um, but what we don't actually really know is how many people have been infected. We don't know the denominator, right? We know the number of people who have died in the top. That's concrete. We don't know the denominator, meaning we don't actually know how many people are, invite, are infected because it may well be that, um, that this is uh, uh, much more prevalent than we're, than we're seeing, right? And, and given that we don't know, there, I've seen estimates up to 90% of cases might be asymptomatic, yeah. which lowers- By 10. The, yeah, it lowers from basically to flu levels, uh, the the fatality rate. And unfortunately it's skewed towards one demographic, the elderly, but knowing data like this changes the way you treat it as a society or change the way you treat it medically and, and so on. So I want to- share with you uh, an exciting piece of news that I'm beginning to uh, share and blog and uh, about, which is I'm on the board of a company. Um, it's called C19. It's part of a, it's a, it's a uh, part of a larger company called United, um, <clears throat> United Biomedical. And they have developed an antibody blood test Right. So this is not a nasal swab. This is a blood test that you take a small amount of blood and you find out, do you have antibodies to the coronavirus? Right. Have you had it and have developed immunity to it? And what they are doing is they've gone, uh, they live, the, the co-founders, uh, Lou Reese and Mei Mayhew, um, who live in Telluride. Uh, they've gone to the San Miguel County, which is the largest, larger county that Telluride is part of uh, in Colorado, and they are going door to door and drawing blood and testing the entire county. They're testing 7,000 people to find out who is infected and who's not infected. 
and and it's a somewhat random population because Colorado Colorado hasn't had a lot of cases. Like a lot of the testing that's been done so far to get evidence about this has been just on people with symptoms, and that's part of the problem. Yeah, and so they're going to test, and then ten days later, which is the the sort of the typical ninety five percent of people uh, who are exposed will have seroconverted, meaning they will have created antibodies within ten days. So they're going to do testing the next three or four days and then testing 10 days later and then be able to say, listen, uh, you're free and clear or you've had it and you have herd immunity and you're free and clear. Mm. That's great. And it's going to be the first, we'll actually get some, some data about, uh, about this. And this is where we need to go to. And we're going to go to a point where everybody is, is tested and we have real information because we're operating you know, sub subpar and like South Korea right now, um, you know, the, the stats I put out in another blog. And by the way, I, I put out a blog uh, two or three times a week right now on the subject of the numbers. And uh, anybody's interested, if you just go to diamandis.com, uh, you can sign up for the for my blog there. Um, so here are the numbers. China has seen a mortality rate of 3.9%, a death rate, let's call it that. Um, and South Korea is 0.7%, right? And I, I think it can, I think it's, you know, we'll see those numbers get lower as we realize more and more people were asymptomatic or subclinical. So we'll see. Now the flu is 0.1%, right? Just for reference. So the likelihood it is better, it is worse than the flu. Yes. But is it, you know, is it, 10 times worse or a hundred times worse. We'll find out. And the biggest problem of course, is none of us have seen this virus before. So there's no vaccines out there. There's no previous immunity out there. Um, and that's, that's what's scaring people is that it is highly infectious, meaning um, it lasts on surfaces of metal and wood and cardboard and plastic for, you know, uh, dozens of hours could be multiple days. And it is, it's airborne in, in, in micro drops, meaning if you are just like cough or sneeze or, you know, breathing near somebody, you could be uh, vaporizing the, the particulate. So it's not to be ignored. I just, I just think the level of fear is off the charts. Right. So it's a good point because caution is different from panic. Yes. So for instance, for me, I'm staying indoors simply because I don't want to get this virus. I could stay indoors during flu season also, and I won't get the flu. But that's a choice I'm making, and people get the flu, and and, or, and some people do stay indoors. So this is a similar type of choice. I think because of the uncertainty and because of everyone saying, oh, my God, this is growing, this is doubling every day, and uh, fatalities are 2%, people are going a little bit, insane yes. but and then they ignore the flip side of the equation like china after just a mere three months uh you know after after less than that starting around mid-february cases started to peak and now as you mentioned in your email and has been kind of been passed around the internet there's hardly any new cases so they closed down the last of their specially built hospitals that were made just for coronavirus people seem to be ignoring the fact that a pandemic does come to a natural ending. And in the middle of that is the peak where the number of cases per day stop moving up exponentially, exponentially and start to actually level off or go down. 
Yeah, and, and the, the challenge, and I think we all have to remember this, is that the news media, unfortunately, thrives on fear, right? Uh, if you if you think about it, and I'm just just saying, just for for everybody to get this realization that the news media's job is to deliver your eyeballs to their advertisers. That's how they make their money. And when we are in a period of absolute fear and shock and awe during wartime, during pandemic time, during all these things, people are glued to the news. And, and so the ratings for news media go through the roof and they can sell their advertising for a lot more. And so the good news networks don't succeed. And, and so it would be great if they did because what happens is all we hear is the negative information. We don't hear any of the positive news. Um, and that just is, it just drives a continued uh, sort of uh, exponential growth of fear. But we, we evolve that way, right? So we, if, if a, uh, you know, if someone 50,000 years ago passed by a bush and heard some rustling in the bush, they don't wait around to see if it's the wind or a lion, they just run. Yeah. It's called our amygdala. We actually have a part structure in the brain called the amygdala. It's in the temporal lobe that scans everything we see and everything we hear for negative news. And it's our early warning system and it puts us on red alert if we see something that's dangerous, visually, auditorily, sensorily. And so, and we focus and the old adage, if it bleeds, it leads. But there is good news and, I, and maybe we'll just continue to share some of these things, shall we? Yeah, yeah. Um, but 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 let me ask you this. Just yeah. one more thing about China. China's got 2 billion people. And I'm sure you encountered this because I've encountered this. If I mentioned to people, well, look, there was, you know, it's all horrible and tragic, but there were only, you know, three or 4,000 reported deaths. Maybe they lied and maybe there's 20 times that amount. Who knows? But that's still a tiny percentage of 2 billion. And now it's over. And people seem to not want to believe that even though it's kind of fact now i mean apple even opened reopened all their stores which is mentioned in your email yeah yeah no the number uh that i that i have reported here is about 3200 deaths in china which is significant but yeah a very fraction tragic. but a fraction a minuscule fraction of the number of people who died from the flu so again like harvard comes out with this report oh, 70% of the U.S. can get in infected, there will be 10 million deaths. Why are people assuming this is going to be a, a, a thousand times worse than, or 3,000 times worse than China? Yeah, I mean, I think they, first of all, China, because of the structure of their government, is able to say, you know, shut everything down. And so they acted pretty fast, uh, pretty quick. And uh, the question is, you know, will the U.S. or Europe act as decisively as quickly? Now, we should be and could be. And again, there's two different parts here. I think that this is going to, this coronavirus is going to, is not going away. It's going to become part of the milieu of viruses. There are viruses in the environment that crop up every year, you know, and we're going to have these viruses. And so there is a probability and a possibility that, um, that, you will eventually get it, but hopefully you get it after a vaccine is in place, right. right? Or after herd immunity is there, after we know which drugs work better, right? Our, our simple goal is to slow things down enough to be able to, as everybody's been talking about, flatten out the curve, get enough, you know, you know, solve, solve the shit out of this with science, you know, which is the, uh, which is the goal. 
and um, and 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 basically slow things down where um, it is treated and thought of like the flu eventually. But what if what if we didn't now? Obviously, social distancing works. If you're if you keep yourself in your house and you don't meet people, you're not going to get any uh, disease that's transmissible from human to human. But what do you think would happen in the U.S. if we just kind of did business as usual? Do you think it would be, you know, 10 million deaths or? I, I still don't think so. I, I think, you know, uh, in fact, the the numbers that I've seen that sound, re, sound right are the potential for 1.5 million deaths. It's still a large number, right? We see, uh, we see, um, you know, 2.8 million deaths from all other causes of death in the United States. So 1.5 million is a significant number relative to that. Um, but I, I think that um, those are worst case numbers. I really do. And I think we're going to be uh, slowing it down and learning how to address it. The, the biggest fear right now and the biggest problem is definitively overwhelm of the medical system. That is the problem. Which happened in Italy, which happened in Wuhan. And, and will happen and will happen here. I mean, we will see it uh, uh, growing and growing across the country. And that's the, that's, that is real and that is concerning. So, you know, the number of ventilators were right now, as you know, James, I, I serve as, as founder and executive chairman of the XPRIZE Foundation. My team is aggressively working on uh, idea of a ventilator XPRIZE to get the maker community to come up with um, open source, simple to design and build ventilators. And uh, how's that going? Um, we're, we're working on it 24-7. I hope we'll launch the competition next week. Uh, we're, we're still looking for a funder for it. Um, but uh, uh, at the end of the day, uh, we'll, you know, we'll get this thing launched. And there are lots of open source uh, efforts right now. We just want to supercharge it because I think, uh, you know, you should be able to build a, or even 3D print a ventilator to a large degree uh, from, um, from low cost parts and, 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 you know, create entrepreneurs around the world who are building ventilators because the issue may not even be here. The issue um, may end up being in Africa and other parts of Asia that have nothing, right? And are gonna still have these kinds of infection rates and, and requirement for ventilation. And just to mention, you started the X Prize with um, uh, the first X Prize was, I believe, if I remember correctly, privately manufactured uh, spaceflight uh, as opposed to government funded. Yeah. Where the and the prize was, I believe, ten million dollars, and this turned out to be an enormously powerful way of incentivizing and like game of by gamifying and providing financial incentive. Uh, this produces many results. You've done many X prizes since with fantastic results. Yeah, no, it was, it was great. We've launched about $200 million in X prize and another $200 million in development. Let me add one other thing on the news side. Um, the, the, the challenge is all the negative news gets displayed and people don't get a chance to see the positive news. I actually, over the last two years, I've been building a uh, machine learning platform, an AI platform uh, that actually goes and finds news out there in the world that is future forward, has a, uh, a positive, has positive elements, but looks at the convergence of exponential technologies, uh, AI, robotics, 3D printing, AR, VR, synthetic genomics, and so forth, 
and how those technologies are transforming industries. And we just created a special version. The, the company is called FutureLoop. Uh, and uh, uh, we just created a special version of FutureLoop, which is the coronavirus pandemic edition. And um, so what happens is every day, uh, my machine learning algorithm goes out and scans thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of, uh, of science journals, social media, uh, news articles, looking for, in this version, news about coronavirus and pandemic, but then it filters it for uh, uh, which of these are solution-oriented news items, not dystopian news items, and which of these are around the uh, are using exponential technologies to do this? So, so um, it's amazing. And I just made this available for free to everybody. Can I share oh, yeah. it with you on Instagram? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. So if you go to uh, futureloop.com backslash C19, so F U T U R E L O O P dot com slash C19 for Corona, for COVID 19, um, you can sign up for free. And every day you will get a, uh, a news blast of uh, how is AI and data science being used to address this? How is robotics and drones and 3D printing being used to address this? How, how is AR and VR changing um, where you work and, and where and how you play? Um, it's basically a, um, uh, it's a news feed of all of the positive news uh, that is um, that is impacting the solution side of coronavirus. And I love it. I, I like, holy shit, I had no idea this was going on. This is amazing. This is amazing. This is amazing. And so, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a antidote to the negative news out there. So I hope people will subscribe to it. It's, um, I built it because I wanted some alternate to the crisis news network, which I, I, Lovingly call CNN, and and uh, just just a brief ten seconds. How does the how does the AI work? Did you like train it with articles that were already good that you labeled good yeah, news? Yeah, yeah. We they... have I have an amazing uh, amazing um, person, uh, Morgan McDermott, who is the CEO. I've just been funding it, um, and I put out something called Abundance Insider for the last four years. A great newsletter, by the way. Yeah, again, diamandis.com. You can sign up for that, um, but. Uh, and I, so I have four years of articles of abundance-minded, exponentially focused news articles, and we trained up the AI to think like I do about what is scientifically valid, exponentially enabled, solution-oriented. And then there's a version of Future Loop that you can apply to any industry. Like if you're in the clothing industry, you can find out about future-oriented exponential impacts on the clothing industry or the or the education industry, whatever, but we create a special version of this. I personally love feeling like I'm taking good care of myself. And I especially feel this when I take my daily dose of athletic greens. They really go above and beyond to help you take care of you, which is why I love taking Athletic Greens every single day. I do not miss a day. Athletic Greens is not your average supplement. First off, I love the taste. Second, it's a high quality product taken by renowned experts, including myself. My friend Tim Ferriss is actually the one who introduced me to it years ago. I've seen Peter Diamandis' testimonial on the Athletic Greens website. So if you take it, 
You're in really great company. These are the experts. And it's great because they take a holistic approach, which is important to me. I don't want to put anything synthetic or bad for me in my body. I'm trying to constantly improve my diet, improve my health, improve my immune system. And Athletic Greens really has the same goal in mind for you. All the ingredients, and there's 75 in total, are highly absorbable and sourced from whole foods. And their research alone makes them a standout product for me. They've been a sponsor for well over a year. I love the product. I love how it tastes. They didn't just go to market and try to spring some random product on you. They spent 10 years with top nutritionists, naturopaths, and doctors to create their comprehensive formula. Athletic Greens really takes your nutrition seriously, which is something we all should do all the time. The formula is designed to help you adapt as your daily needs change due to stress, sleep patterns, or an imperfect diet. And these things are critically important for a good, well-functioning, healthy life. And if you're wondering what's in it, here's a sneak peek. You'll get super high-quality doses of zinc citrate, vitamin C, prebiotics and probiotics, which is great because they provide effective immune system support and improve your gut health. It also has adaptogens and stress and hormone support. And we all know as stress goes up, it's important to be on our own team and get wellness where we can. This is so critical. Stress is just bad for you. So listen, because they're a direct sponsor, I'm able to work out a really good deal with them. I love this company. I love the product. It tastes great. Here's the deal. If you're a James Altucher Show listener, you get an extra 20 serving pack for free. That's a $79 value with your first purchase. Just do this. Go to the exact URL that I'm telling you. Just jump on over to athleticgreens.com slash James and claim your special offer today. This is available in the US, Canada, UK, and EU. That's athleticgreens.com slash James. And look, don't just go to athleticgreens.com because then you're missing out on the $79 value and you're not helping anybody. So just don't, I, I, I told my friends this, go to athleticgreens.com slash James. They just go to athleticgreens.com. And I'm like, are you guys idiots? Just do the smart thing. Every, every penny counts and, and, and be smart about it. So take your nutrition to the next level. Try athletic greens today. That's athleticgreens.com slash James to get started. And I just want to say to Adam, who's the CEO of athletic greens, if you're listening now, Thank you. This has been a huge support for the podcast, and I love the product. I love what you've been doing. And to my listeners, I also want to say thank you for listening, and thank you for showing up for our sponsors. You're the reason they keep coming back, and I really know this because we have a... If you're listening to this, I know you're a high-quality listener of podcasts because we get such great feedback from everybody from you guys to the sponsors to the companies we work with. Uh, I feel really proud of the podcast and the, and the value we're bringing right now. Now, here's the show. And remember the link to try it out is athleticgreens.com slash James. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I, I lived in over a hundred or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period. And I loved it. I love, I became a really good guest of Airbnbs and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others 
Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests. And having my own Airbnb or, or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away and I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three-story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Daylight savings time is starting up again. Okay, podcast is over. That's all you needed to know. But why do we have uh, daylight savings time? Answer, to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting your clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day that initial, when we initially start daylight savings. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100-plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. This is such a brilliant idea for a business, and ZipRecruiter did it. So ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. I've used ZipRecruiter particularly as a potential employee, and I still to this day get messages every day. James Aldacher, would you like to apply to be VP of entertainment at NBC or whatever. So there's just nonstop emails. Like I got five or six emails today because of because a year ago I signed up for ZipRecruiter. So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Hey, listen, men's health is important. Men act all cocky and like they don't need anything. But the reality is, as you get older, there's some things you need. And it often feels like we're too busy to take care of our health problems. Like I'd rather do anything then go to the doctor or the dentist or the pharmacy or whatever. But now you don't have to waste your time if you use HIMS. HIMS, H-I-M-S, HIMS is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for erectile dysfunction, hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is 100% online, so you get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Jay, you listening to all this? Yes, I definitely gonna use him for now. Not on. that you need it. You're you're young and healthy, James. I'm thirty five. You, you're getting there. You might you might need it. Who knows? 
But if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and indiscreet packaging. No insurance is needed. You can manage your plan on the Hims app, track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at hymns.com slash James. Could you imagine that there's a whole section just with my name on it? Hymns.com slash James. That's how I how much I am representative of the kind of person who needs hymns. That's HIMS.com slash James for your personalized treatment options. Hymns.com slash James. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See hymns.com slash James for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. What about Vanity Future Loop? Like, I just want to put my own name in and just see only positive news about me. Yeah. Well, you can. Uh, you can put your own name in there. But it, that that's a version... If you, you can go to futureloop.com and it's in a private beta, you can, we opened up the, the COVID-19 version to the public. If you go to futureloop.com alone and plug in your name, when we open it up, you can be invited to, to Futureloop. It's, it's a way of changing, um, changing how we, uh, how we consume news. And it's like, I want news that's actually going to be useful to me. Not, not what some editor on a newspaper staff or not what some producer on a TV channel wants to feed me. No, I, I, I don't know if I ever told you this, but at one time I was uh, on a news show pretty regularly and as one of the pundits or whatever, and the producer asked me for one show, hey, why don't you hang out backstage with us and you'll see how, how this is done. And in the middle of the show, he leaned over to me and he said, we're just trying to fill up the space between ad spots. That's our entire job. And that's him wow. admitting it at a, at a prime time. It was a prime time news show at a major network, which is kind of wow. scary. I stopped going on that on news. Shows <laughs> after that. So listen, but, I mean, that's their business. It's like, you know, if you look at, look at the headlines across the bottom of Fox or CNN, it's like death toll rises. It's like pandemic alerts. It's like, it's, it's, it's meant to get their fancy graphics. Oh my God. It's meant to screw with your brain. Yeah. So, okay, so positive news. Let's talk about vaccine development because I have I have some questions. Uh, Mar you mentioned Mordana. This has been in the news, has been yeah. uh, developing an experimental vaccine. There's other companies developing uh, vaccines. Realistically, coronavirus, you know, the, the common cold is a coronavirus. There's no vaccine for the common cold. There's no cure for the common cold. Realistically, is this possible to come up with a vaccine for this COVID-19? Yes, I am absolutely clear it is, uh, and there's a multitude of efforts underway. And what's also true is that it's going to mutate and you're going to create additional additional versions of this. So it'll be so like the flu vaccine where you have to take be, it every year. It'll be like the flu vaccine. Um, so Moderna, I was I happened to be, so Stefan Bansal, who's the CEO of Moderna, uh, is a friend, and I happened to be in his headquarters in Cambridge uh, two weeks ago before the insanity fully began, and sat down with him and his chief scientist, Tony Robbins, and I are writing a book called um, Life Force uh, about uh, all of the incredible technologies coming online this decade to extend the healthy human lifespan, right? It's, again, at a time we're talking about mortality rates and death rates and so forth, it's nice to think about the fact that 
There's amazing technology. It's going to extend our life. Um, but um, the uh, so Stefan said, listen, we've got a um, uh, none that he said, listen, we're we're working on this. The challenge is going to be how quickly the FDA will approve this. Right. At the end of the day, we may have a vaccine that we think is ready to go, but the FDA's job um, uh, is to not have a treatment it be worse than the than what you're treating. So if you put out a vaccine that you think is fine, and all of a sudden we find out, oh no, it's not in pregnant women or children or whatever, it's that's what they want to protect about. They want to have enough data to show that it is safe. So the chances are that we're likely to have a vaccine uh, in the fall of 2021, that it may take uh, as long as another 18 months to go through all of the testing. But it's also potential that we're going to see vaccines tested earlier in other countries. So in Israel, in China, in Taiwan, in other places. Um, this company I mentioned earlier, uh, United uh, Biomedical, um, has a vaccine as well. They are the largest vaccinator of pigs in the world, uh, based in China and Taiwan. They vaccinated 5 billion pigs from uh, uh, hoof and mouth disease, which is much more virulent, much more infectious, and, more, and, and, and kills pigs and mutates very rapidly. And so they have a platform for creating vaccines, and they have a vaccine that is in animal testing and hopefully will be in humans in the next uh, uh, within the next month. But in addition, their platform is a platform play for vaccines. And it has been, uh, their platform has been used in humans before, and we know is safe. So I think we're going to have a lot of good news on the vaccine front sooner than 18 months from now. But I think people are beginning want to be cautious about what they promise. Sure. And, and, and Peter, let me ask you this. The FDA is a gatekeeper between the biotech companies and, you know, getting this out to the population. And for good reason, you point out for safety and there's, you know, like you say, 18 months, often these safety trials are 12 months. And then there's other things they need to, to pass as well, uh, which is the other six months, even in a very fast track case. But what about in some cases like letting, do you think this will affect policy? Like why not let the most a susceptible part of the population, the elderly, choose if if this passes some kind of safety metric. I, you know, if I'm an 80 year old person, I'll take the vaccine. I I completely agree. At the end of the day, um, I think that we need the ability for people to be a lot more experimental with themselves if they want. Um, you know, what happens is if you know in the in the finance world. Uh, you can only go public after all the lawyers have proofread everything and, and, you know, it's safe for grandmothers and kids to invest in your company in a public setting. And, but then there's something called an accredited investor, right? And you can do a, a reg D offering and have an accredited investor where if you've got over a million dollars of net worth and you have income of over $200,000, you can invest whatever you want. You know, you're intelligent enough. So there should be a, a, a uh, accredited patient version of that, where if you're smart, if your family members have signed off, if your doctor has signed off, you can try risky things. That and, should and, exist. But, 
But by the way, accredited investors do not have a better track record than non-accredited investors. That's kind of like, the, it was only accredited investors investing in Bernie Madoff. So <laughs> it's sort of a weird analogy, but I agree almost disease by disease. Like again, here with, with COVID-19, this coronavirus, it, it affects mostly the elderly or it hurts mostly the elderly. They're, they're, they're not, there's no pregnant women over the age of 80. They should be, <laughs> they should yeah. be allowed to take, yeah, yeah. They should be allowed to take this vaccination as opposed to staying in next season for the whole season. So I'm just suggesting there may be uh, another piece of good news that could come out of this is that we pick and choose our spots to start releasing some of these things early, including drugs. So are you, are, what are you seeing on the, on the cure front? So there are a number of drugs that are antivirals and uh, malaria drugs that are in tests. So what's, what's happening right now is two things. One, lots of existing drugs that are in, uh, in production already and have been FDA approved and could be used off-label um, are, uh, are in test. And we're going to find out the results. Um, we'll find out these results in the next probably week or two. And then if there's things of promise, uh, you know, Gilead has some, um, they will be, you know, at the speed of light, that information will go to every physician and every hospital out there and we'll start utilizing these things. There are other things, uh, for example, one of my other companies I'm a co-founder of called Cellularity, it, based in New Jersey, is the largest cellular medicine company. Um, and they actually store placentas. They, when a baby is born, um, you have traditionally stored the, the cord blood for that child, which can repopulate your hemopoietic system if you have a childhood leukemia of some type. But what they realized with Dr. Bob Hurry, who is the, the chairman, CEO, the brains behind the operation, I'm simply his his co-founder and vice chairman uh, realizes that the placenta is a 3D printer that manufactures the baby and also the immune system that protects the baby. And so um, uh, what he's done is stored 100,000 100, plus placentas, uh, decellularized them, been able to take out the stem cells, the pluripotent stem cells, and also the T cells and natural killer cells in the placenta. And um, those natural killer cells in, in our tests right now, natural killer cells are what the cells that protect you against uh, viral infection and against uh, various cancers, as well as, your, as well as the T cells. And what, um, what he's finding is that uh, natural killer cells infused into a patient who is infected um, could, uh, could help them fight the infection, right? So it's like boosting your immunity. Um, so that's a important, it's, it's still preclinical. They just filed for, um, an emergency IND, um, and basically to get approval from the government to start testing, uh, and hopefully we'll get that approval, uh, this week or next. And now is that to work on people who have the yes. illness? Yes. So, so again, like I always ask, like, let's say there's some indications that this works and you have a hundred thousand people on ventilators right now that are not looking so good. Why do we need any tests? Why not we just give it to them? I, if there's I, some indications? I agree. I agree. So, uh, cellularities facilities, they just, we just built out brand new facilities where we could manufacture 
hundreds of thousands of doses of natural killer cells uh, for infusion. You infuse uh, some large number of cells in, through an IV, um, and that's the goal. Um, it, it's just this is the FDA process. It is a slow and methodical and expensive and expensive process because here it's it's political to a large degree in the following way. If if the FDA approved, and this is not the company's point of view, it's my personal point of view. I just want to be clear about that. I don't want to get anybody in trouble here, but. Um, you know, the FDA is there to protect people against charlatans, to protect people against um, unknown effects. And there have been lots of cases in the past where people thought something was safe, but it turned out to actually have, like thalimidide. Uh, th <laughs> yeah, thalimidide, whatever. Yes, yeah, that was given uh, to people uh, as anti-nausea drug in the early 60s that turned out to, in pregnancy, you know, cause shortened forearms. It was, it was awful. But um, uh, but it's now found to be used in multiple myeloma, and and Celgene developed that into a multi-billion-dollar drug. But under these unique conditions, having said that, uh, if you approve a drug and someone gets hurt, there's hell to pay. If you don't approve a drug out of caution, then you know then oh well we're just being safe, right? So you value the lives lost. From um, uh, from approval more than the lives lost from not approval. It's a strange, it's a strange perverse situation. And, and and you know it's interesting because you look at the you look at our philosophy. Let's say in a time of war. Okay, let's say something happens that triggers us to go to war. What's the first thing we do? We call up every eighteen-year-old male in the country and now female. We call up every eighteen-year-old in the country and say. We're going to give you a gun and we're going to send you to a foreign country that you're unfamiliar with and you're going to shoot other 18 year olds. We have no problem making a decision like that, but oh no, don't give this cure of a fatal disease to anybody yet. Like we're so, you know, nervous about some things and then just eager to send citizens off to their death in other cases. It's, it always strikes me yeah, as amazing. Well, we, are, we are at a war, we're at a global war. Um, you know, I'd love to call this World War Three. Uh, but against a virus. Right. The only reason I don't like for this case using military terminology is I, I see, you know, like in London, they just can't delayed the mayoral elections. I do get afraid of a terminology that's going to lead to something authoritarian over yes. in a situation that doesn't deserve it at all. Yeah, no, agreed. So let's, let's, so, you know, future loop backslash C19 will give you good news every day on all of the efforts around the world for uh, testing, for uh, massive data science and AI being applied to this, to, to cures, to uh, va vaccines, yeah. As a cure, what do you think of chloroquine, the uh, anti-malaria drug? Yeah, so again, there's some data to, to, to show that it's got uh, potentially positive uh, effects and people are, are you know, are scrambling and trying to get supplies of it already. So listen, uh, when you've got no solution, you throw everything at it. So the, the re I'm reading the same reports everybody else is. Maybe um, I'm reading some other reports as well. I just got a uh, uh, a report in out of China that came out yesterday of their uh, their latest um, uh, uh, their latest. And let me just read some of this. So uh, the virus. Um, is the coronavirus two uh, 
is sensitive to ultraviolet and heat. So in, how do you kill it? It's ultraviolet light and heat. 75% uh, ethanol uh, kills it. Uh, Chlorine-containing disinfectants uh, kill it. Well, what does that mean? Uh, does that mean, it, how do you kill it when it's in the body? With no, no, the on, on surfaces, on surfaces. Okay. Yeah. Um, so uh, let's see what else. Uh, the pathology in the lungs very much resembles SARS and MERS. Um, and it's basically, you know, just damaging the alveolar, the, the alveoli of the, of the lungs. Um, it's, uh, uh, it decreases the number of lymphocytes and it decreases cell regeneration. Um, uh, so that's, you know, it's causing your lungs to begin, uh, to fail. Let's see if I can find some other uh, data here about other treatments in this recent deck. Um, if you want to keep talking while I, I thumb through it just came it just came over yeah so you in one of your points uh you mentioned seven treatments who were treated in india have recovered and uh you 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 refer to that the treatment protocol will be scaled to other hospitals what was the treatment protocol that they used to, to um i don't have it in front of me i mean wh here's what's going on the beautiful thing is that humans are pretty much the same globally and we're seeing a massive parallel processed uh, experiment going on. So uh, every country is throwing everything it's got at it and is open sourcing all the information uh, that is there. So it isn't like if it was just in, you know, just in New York and, and only New York hospitals were doing it. It's every hospital around the world is trying whatever they can. So uh, that for me, that gives, that gives uh, tremendous hope. So, um, uh, there's two uh, antivirals, uh, uh, lopinavir and ritonavir, uh, that are being tried uh, together. And so uh, it's, uh, it's going to be reported on in the next couple of days. Um, let's see what else here. But please go so, on. So, so what, I'm, what I've been getting out of all this is that, A, there is a beginning, middle, and end to a pandemic, just like there was for SARS, MERS, H1N1. And people sort of think that I, I see people commenting like, what good is quarantining? If this just keeps doubling forever, we'll never be able to leave our house. The reality is there's a timeline for when the a pandemic, any, any pandemic wears itself out. It, exactly. So what happens is either you have it and you build immunity and your immune system kills it off inside your body, or you didn't get it but the number of virally infected people have gone to near zero. Everybody who is infected has developed an immunity or has died. That's it. I mean, those are the two outcomes. Right. This, this happens every season with the flu. It comes, yeah. it does its thing, which is horrible. And then it, and then it's over. Yeah. And so people don't sort of understand that. I think that's an important piece of good news. And we see, and the evidence we see is in China, which, you could argue as a train wreck as a country uh, uh, in terms of medical care and in terms of many social systems. And after 3,000 deaths, it basically, the disease died off to the point where they're shutting down the hospitals that they built. They, uh, Apple's opening up in, in all those, uh, all their stores, factories are reopening. There was an actual end and it wasn't a percentage of 2 billion people. It was a tiny percentage of a percentage of a percentage that ended up, now it. the you know the what we're seeing is we're seeing this experiment this global experiment I hate to call it that but 
in phases where we're seeing what happened in China and South Korea and then Italy and then the US, right? Sort of those are like, those are the benchmarks I'm thinking. And China is three months ahead of everybody and, uh, and Italy's a month ahead of us. And so when China reopens, which it will do shortly and people start coming out of quarantine, that's the next card we're going to flip over and say, does it, you know, um, like you can think about it as a fire. Like did you, if there are a few glowing embers still in the fire, does it begin to reemerge again? Right. And so, and I'm, um, so I think most of China is reopened, but in Wuhan specifically, it's within the next two weeks, they're basically unlocking yeah. the, the, the main area affected, which is, which is good news, which they're confident in doing. If they weren't confident in doing it, I doubt they would do it because they don't want to be embarrassed, yeah. but we'll see, like you say, but again, the data suggests this has a timeline of roughly three to four months in every country. Yes. And, and the same thing will happen here, which if you count conservatively, if you count March 1st as the beginning of the first cluster, the first 100 cases, that would suggest June 1st as the end date and April 15th, roughly, you know, give or take a few days as, as a peak point where you start to see uh, cases level off and then even decline, as you were mentioning, like that S. Yep. Exactly. And so I want to give people hope. The question is, how long are you going to be um, sort of held up with your mother-in-law <laughs> is the question or, you know, with screaming kids and such. And, and so one of the things to also think about on this positive news conversation is what do you do in this time of pause, right? So we're taking like a, a, a nationwide pause from work. Uh, which is destroying the economy. And uh, my heart goes out to, you know, millions of people who are losing their jobs and and probably tens of thousands of businesses are going in business, which is a real travesty, massive travesty. And so if you're lucky not lucky enough not to have to close down your business or or if you have income and not losing your job and you have a potential to think, what do you do during this time? Because this you know, with this pause comes opportunity. And one of, and a couple of things I shared with my community are the following, if I could, if I could go ahead and share this. Sure. Yeah. So number one, um, this is a time of reconnecting with family, obviously. Right. So I've been out playing baseball with my boys a lot more than, you know, they're eight and a half years old and we're having fun over that. Um, and, and so spending time with your family, uh, more time with your family and really connecting with your family and having more intimate and meaningful and deeper conversations than you might normally have as you're running around your business is one thing. The second thing is um, your health. Um, <clears throat> and this comes in two parts, exercising and meditation. So we can talk about next one of the, one of the, important things to do is max, maximize your immunity, right? Um, uh, we're, we're finding that older people die and younger people don't or don't have symptoms. Why? Because younger people have stronger immunity than older people. And so you want to maximize your immunity and immunity comes from sleep, exercise, uh, non, being non-stressed, um, you know, diet, we can talk about all the things that boost your immunity. So during this time, the second area is take care of yourself, sleep eight hours, get exercise, uh, eat healthy foods. Uh, those are important things. Learn to meditate and meditate. So taking care of yourself. The next thing is if you're an entrepreneur like I am, um, 
Now is a great time and an excuse to kill that part of your business that you were always wondering, man, I'm dragging this along. Should I kill it? Shouldn't I kill it? Whatever. Now is a chance to restructure your business. Um, there's going to be a damn good excuse for it. But at the end, if products aren't working, uh, I think, you know, um, it's a chance to refocus what you're doing. The fourth category for me is go digital. Um, I talk about this in abundance and bold and, and futures faster is the sixties that whatever is digitized enters a period of slow, deceptive growth, and then it becomes disruptive and it dematerializes, demonetizes and democratizes products and services. So how do we, how do we digitize as much of what we do? Um, and so that we can, we can provide digital, you know, obviously this, this podcast is a digital version of, uh, of what would have been physical things in magazines and newspapers and, and such in the past. And even radio shows. We don't have to go to a radio station. We don't have to go to a TV station to do this. Yeah, exactly. And so last night, for example, I participated in a global event that took place in China uh, with my VR headset. I was a keynote speaker on a stage uh, in China with, um, I can... I just get the stats. Did you get, just out of curiosity, did you get sick? Like I've given no. a talk in a VR world for about 45 minutes and I felt a little nauseous ever afterwards. It's like that uncanny valley of VR where your brain sort of freaks out after a little while. Hey, this is not the real world. And I thought it was, and it kind of triggers this nausea. No, it was, it's the technology is getting so much, so much better. This was put on by a friend of mine, the, C, the president of HTC China, Alvin Graylin. And so- uh, there was um, thirty thousand people uh, participating. Wow! Um, in the in the event, and I uh, was talking about the future of education and digitized. And so, you know, we're going to see a lot more uh, digital education going. And right now, two hundred million kids in China have been out of school, and they're all going digital. So, so Peter, let me ask about this because yeah. obviously, uh, tons, of, millions of kids in the U.S. now are, are out of school, including all five of mine. And uh, because because of this situation, is this going to kind of trigger more the discussion of, hey, online education is a legit alternative to spending 70000 a year on a higher education where you're going to go into massive debt? Yeah, I, I think we need to reinvent education. Education is no longer for, for college, for example, in graduate school, you know, a first university started around 1000 AD and they really started going or getting around 500 years ago uh, in Europe, a lot of them around the church and such. But um, uh, when universities really got underway in the 1800s, early 1900s, you would go to school, get your degree by age 22. And for the average male, your life expectancy was like 40. And so your, your education would last you, you know, 20 years. And during that time, things didn't change very much. And now things are changing constantly. So we need to rethink education. It's not going to be a one and done like, oh, I went to school. I got my degree. Bullshit. It's going to be, um, it's going to be a continuous, it's a subscription model. Uh, I'm going to go to MIT and I'm taking courses the rest of my life in AR and augmented reality and virtual reality. I love the idea of making it a subscription model that kind of buffers the fall of these sort of physical colleges while at the same time, not ignoring 
you know, places like Coursera, Khan Academy, LinkedIn Learning that have such masterclass that have such valuable courses Amazing. that are being ignored because they're they're not quote unquote accredited. So kids feel they're not getting the full experience, which is just BS. Yeah, and and let's be clear, you know, college has multiple uh, reasons. One is to learn a topic or subject, which is the least needed, you know, you don't need physical facilities to do that. You can actually learn better in VR. Uh, uh, and that's, the data is very clear. You can learn subjects much better in, in VR than you can sitting in a classroom with a sage on the stage. But college also has the importance of independence, right? I, I you leave home, you become, you, you know, you, you screw up on your own, you, you have issues, you learn all of these things. Um, anyway, uh, so there's learning how to learn and there's, uh, there's making friends and there's the social side and becoming a good human. So we need to, we need to differentiate uh, what we have to do in physical proximity and what we can do digitally. So, you know, final thing I want to ask, I mean, we've, we've talked about how, uh, you know, case, social distancing is going to, is demonstrated to uh, shorten the time span or at least uh, decrease the mortality rate in places like China, South Korea, and so on. Hopefully in the U.S., pandemics have a beginning and end. Vaccines, are, we're working together as a globe and vaccines are being developed and hopefully they'll get out there as quickly as possible. Possible cures are being released. And again, hopefully they'll get out there as quickly as possible. And all the evidence suggests there's going to be an end to this and it's not going to be as bad as people think. But uh, right now, people are under the, A, people don't know whether this is going to last forever and infect the entire globe. And people also don't know what the effects of all this social distancing and social isolation will be not only on individuals and their mental health, but on the economy, businesses up and down the chain are going to go out of business in just a month. If you, if there's a month of the entire world being locked down, essentially most restaurants, bars, retail stores, and many other uh, businesses that depend on supply chain management are just going to die. Yep. Do you think? Do you think what's on the other side of this? Optimistically, in your view, what have you been thinking about? Um, wow. It, it, that is the part that breaks my heart the most is, uh, is the impact on people's livelihoods. Um, so we're, we're going to reinvent a lot. I think, first of all, the most important thing is for us not to ignore what is happening and the price that we're paying and to become more robust as a society, right? The ideas of pandemics um, are have been out there for a while and people have been talking about it. You know, one of the things that I'm concerned about is that we do have existential threats for humanity that we don't pay attention to. In fact, this year for XPRIZE, our theme is addressing humanity's existential threats. We picked that theme before the pandemic, right? Pandemic is one existential threat. An asteroid impact is another. You know, talk about having a bad day. Right? If we find a large enough asteroid heading our way and they pass really close to the Earth all the time, it doesn't have to be a planet killer. An asteroid that you know, lands off the Atlantic seaboard could cause massive damage or you know, it just could ruin the entire global economy even worse than we have right now. So we, we have to be spending more of our time intelligently protecting ourselves against 
all of these things. The environmental you know, crisis is another one that we are not um, paying anywhere near attention, enough attention to. So um, I think that we're going to have to upskill people who lost their jobs to digital jobs. I think you know, a lot of the stuff I talk about in my book, The Future is Faster Than You Think, um, is, is fundamentally um, uh, going to be accelerated by this virus. We're going to accelerate a lot of these things digitally and autonomously and automatically. I, I think also, I, and I don't know if it'll occur now or in the next crisis, but I think public policy has to change, has to be a little bit more open, a little bit more fluid and situate and, and context-based as opposed to like, these are the FDA rules. These are the rules for lockdown. Like, you know, you take a situation like this that everyone is so worried about, but as we get more data, it suggests more policy. So, okay, here's a demographic group that is the most affected by this. This is the group that should probably be more under lockdown than the group that moves the economy forward. Okay, here's a drug. Here's a vaccine that maybe we can send to people who are on life support now, even though it's not fully through the FDA. It got yes. through phase one or phase yeah. two. We hundred percent. We need, and we also need more scientists and more engineers in Congress, right? I mean, I, we have a political system filled with lawyers uh, yeah. to the most degree. And I really think, you know, one of the things that, that China has is they have a meritocracy with a lot, you know, the number of PhDs in the Chinese government. And, you know, listen, I'm a, I'm a capitalist, you know, uh, through and through, and I love our country, but I, I don't, like the fact that you know we don't we're not listening to our scientists and we are not um moving fast enough and our our most of our politicians don't have enough of a scientific background i think to a large degree to be making uh the decisions there so do you think we will get to the other side of this in the sense of course that we will. in the sense that people now what is there a tipping point where people get into such hysteria over these restrictions and the restrictions continue longer than they need to is there a tipping point where society is not just dented but but brutalized i hope not i mean i think the decisions we make as a as a for the united states at least as a country uh this week um uh and how you know the small business administration and how um how we how we cushion this and how then we restart the economy rapidly there on the flip side of this all of these things are super important. I, I agree. And I think, look, they've announced trillions and trillions of dollars of stimulus, probably triple what they announced for the financial crisis. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. There hasn't been enough stimulus, I think, on the small business level, but there's there's probably ideas being discussed that we're one, not aware of. One last thing I want to add here is uh, there's not enough money going into science. There's nowhere near enough money going into science. Uh, the labs and the scientists who have been wanting to do this right after the SARS outbreak, a lot of the science, a lot of the budgets that we're going to be uh, working on vaccines and on all that just shut down. Right. That, it, in part because the, to get a drug through the FDA requires about $2 billion from a company and, most and, a, and a decade of time. Yeah. Right. And, and most you know, let's say a professor comes up with something in, in the laboratory and now moves it over to a small company, gets a little bit of funding to get started and show some decent results. 
Now, where is he going to get $2 billion more dollars? Yeah, it's, it's very difficult. It is, it is tough. So the FDA needs to become a lot more agile, and we need a lot more capital flowing um, uh, to entrepreneurs in this arena. We need the same way that Silicon Valley took a very old industrial uh, industry. Uh, we need to move um, rapidly to, uh, uh, to a much more agile entrepreneurial pharmaceutical instrument. We can. AI is going to be a critical, play a critical role there, but um, uh, it's, uh, it is, it's an exciting time. I just hope we learn the lessons out of this. So Peter, one final question. What supplements are, or, or things are you taking right now for specifically coronavirus? Yeah. So uh, basically I'm working on, on, on my immunity. So I am, uh, I can, I can read it to you. It's, it's, it's over, over here. So I'm, I'm taking zinc. I'm taking, um, uh, I'm taking obviously, uh, all my, you know, high dose of vitamin C. I'm taking glutathione. I'm taking, uh, a couple different products that are immune, uh, immune boosters. Um, uh, like what, it, what are those products? Well, here, let me just extend over here. And, 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 and it's understood you're not recommending them. These are just what you're taking. These are a lot of over-the-counter uh, products. I'll, I'll say like I'm taking lactoferrin, for instance, which is an immune booster. Yeah. Um, uh, so Coloss- I'm putting out a blog to, uh, tomorrow, this weekend, about boosting your immunity, which has all the details. But colostrum, which is the first milk coming out of you know cows that have immunoglobulins in them, uh, phosphatidylserine, um, taking zinc, uh, immune... Renew has got um, a, I can't put my glasses on to even read it, but um, um, it's, if people go and get my blog, this will be, a, I'll, I'll be finishing this tonight. I'll have a detailed uh, list of all of the things that are uh, natural immune boosters and foods and so forth. Well, finally, Peter, thanks so much for, for coming on. I think Good news is sorely needed in this environment when, when, as you mentioned, the newspapers tend to focus on the opposite for, for better or for worse. But I think people are in such despair right now that this is really helping people to realize that this is going to come to an end and there's some positive things going on right now. And uh, I also want to recommend, I've been following your, your newsletter probably since you began it. It's, you know, again, you, you not only do you highlight these these great news things that are happening in these exponentially growing industries, but you also append your own opinion about why each thing is important. That's how I saw your your positive news on coronavirus was through your newsletter. Once again, you get that. Um, Peter, how do, how do you get your different newsletters? So if you go to diamandis.com, um, you, you can subscribe uh, on that page for my, I put out a blog every week. Um, I also, um, uh, go to futureloop.com backslash C19, which is really the most relevant right now uh, for for folks. And and I would put on any reading list for people who have time to spare and want to learn about these, what the future looks like, Abundance, Bold, and your latest book, uh, The Future is Faster Than You Think. Yes. So once again, Peter, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and I will talk to you soon. Thank you, buddy. A pleasure as always. Talk to you soon. Thanks.